Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in our study through the New Testament, uh, we've been working on this for over four years. This is our 225th meeting uh, on this New Testament study. We've been going through it pretty much a chapter at a time uh, to get to this point where we're really heading towards the end now. We should be done in the next year um, as we... uh, We've got Jude next, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to do, we're going to do Jude because it kind of ties in with 2nd Peter. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then Revelation, and, um, and then we'll have completed the New Testament, and we're going to launch in, the moment we're done, into the Old Testament. All right, so, and that takes, that's another 15 years, as I've said, and then we'll see where we're at, although we'll probably just start all over again because we'll have a, by then it'll be a habit. So we're working through it. Uh, the reason it's, I think, so beneficial to work through the Scripture like this is it really helps keep it in context. I want to keep saying that because I, I want you to know that when you are studying the Scripture, that context is an is a extremely important part of it. And that, that when, you, when you look at passages and verses, they, they have to be held in the context of the other verses around them and within the um, overall understanding of why the letter was written in the first place and who it was written to and what questions were trying to be answered and what was going on historically because all of that impacts what's being said. Um, it's, it's still, um, the scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It applies to us completely today, but, but it applies in the context to which it was originally written, and that's what we always want to be aware of. And actually, in today's um, time in Second Peter 2, Peter's warning people against false teachers and false teachings because it's... it's, it's um, at this point in the stage of that, their history, it's really invaded the church significantly. And he's going to give some warnings about that. And one of the ways that we, we combat being um, drawn in by false teachers and false teachings is by understanding the Scripture ourselves and by studying it and reading it and making sure everything lines up against it. And that, that's all part of the process. And so it's, it's very important that we... Um, we, we do this type of study in the Word, where you really look at it and, and take it through in context so you can know what's happening. You know, a lot of times on the weekends, um, even though I generally preach through chunks of Scripture, um, we, we're still sort of doing it more topically um, so that it's help, helpful in the way that we can apply it in our day-to-day lives, which is really what we're trying to do on the weekends. But we, we, we have some, um, the, the freedom, I think, to do that on the weekends because during the week we're making sure that we're attacking the Scripture head-on, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in context, so we, we make sure we're holding on to the truth of the Word of God. And this is, so it's extremely important in all that we do as a church. So we've been uh, pressing through together over these last four years and change. We're up to the second chapter of Second Peter, and as I said, um, uh, there, Peter in this chapter is going to be dealing with the big issue that was uh, really now sort of hurting the church from the inside out. First Peter, uh, the, the letter, First Peter's letter, he was really dealing with the sort of the, the persecutions from the outside in for the church. In Second Peter, he's dealing with the problems that the church was facing inside. Um, all of which was trying to sort of stop the church from where it was heading. Uh, We've always had a very real enemy who would love to be able to stop the church from its mission. He's not successful, but he's always trying things. And uh, at this point in time, the pressure was intense, you know, because if you can stop it when it's young like that, you you might have a shot. I'm sure that was the... And so it was all in 
and all this persecution they were facing from the, the Roman government and the oppression of all that from the, um, from the Jewish people now coming after them um, because they are dis distancing themselves from um, the Christians and now within the church itself false teachers are coming up and just trying to explode the entire thing so all of this is happening as Peter's writing remember now he's writing in AD 67 68 he writes this letter just before he's martyred which we know happens under Nero in 67 or 68 AD so all that is taking place as Peter writes and remember when Peter is writing um, Peter's you know was one of the main apostles right he was hanging out with Jesus all the time and so he's now at this stage in his life having worked through this he's still going to be thinking about the things that Jesus taught them and the things that he warned them of and even though he might not have seen it initially now a lot of stuff is happening that Jesus said would be happening because uh, in Matthew 24 11, you can write that down I'll read it to you Jesus said many false prophets will appear and deceive many people he told this to his guys in Mark 13 22 and 23 Jesus said this to, to his guys, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So Jesus was preparing them, uh, Peter and the rest of the guys, for all this stuff that was going to happen. Um, and they were seeing it now starting to really take place. And, and so all of that would have been resonating with them. Jesus told us this was coming. And here it is. And so... Peter is then passing on these warnings to the church, uh, wherever they're at. So let me read the second chapter to you, 22 verses. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Uh, if you've got notes on the way in, you can follow along there. If you have your Bibles, you can open and follow along there. Whatever translation you have should get close enough. And here we go, beginning in verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on his ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasure while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. 
They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. And blessed be the word of the Lord. You might um, get the feeling that Peter has had enough of false teachers. <laughs> At this point in time, and uh, so he, those are—that's a pretty strong uh, sort of statement about where they're at and what they're doing. He's letting everybody know that he's not happy, and uh, he's sort of calling them into account. So, in the first few verses of Second Peter. Uh, chapter 2, he gives us some ways to identify false teachers. And these are all things that we should be aware of at all times. Um, he's, he stresses that one of the things that will mark false teachers uh, oftentimes is immorality. And you can look and, and you should see if the teacher or the teaching promotes or participates in immoral practices. Because um, they, they shouldn't. Uh, and you should be able to begin to look at that and see what's going on, and, and it, it should be a clue that uh, there's something not right in the process. So these guys were, were preaching and teaching, but they were going back to a lot of the pagan-type um, practices that promoted uh, very immoral, very, um, you know, uh, way-out practices, and they were, remember the, the, uh, the church, the, the young church, was, could be easily swayed by some of those teachings and the groups that were doing that. Another big problem was greed, still is. Um, and so another way to look and see is the teacher or the teaching clearly serving God or is it clearly promoting other interests? And um, that's something that needs to be looked at. Because we, we all have to be careful with greed. And it, it can happen to, to, you know, along the way with anyone. And so we need to be aware of what's going on and, and checking those things out with the people that we're um, listening to and learning from. And another big one is lying. Is the teacher or the teaching able to stand up to the scrutiny of the Bible? Probably the biggest one and why we do what we do here all the time. Everything should line up with this. Um, and, and the person who is... In, you know, responsible for the teaching um, should be able to explain it fairly comfortably with what's going on. Now, um, we're going to have, uh, you, you might disagree with somebody sometimes. That's different. That doesn't necessarily mean they're false teaching. It may not just be that you agree. 
Um, you know, when we saw Paul addressing that situation all the time in the church, that they were coming at things a little differently, and Paul would say, listen, what you need to do in those cases is not divide, but allow the Holy Spirit some room in, to, to really help you all grow in that to figure out what's supposed to be happening in the process. Um, because, you know, I, I, it's not okay to just label everybody that you don't agree with as a false teacher. You look at a variety of things uh, in their lives, and if their lives are fruitful, and you can, you know, you can look past the things that you don't agree with and see that these are people who are earnestly um, trying to follow God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you get that. You just might not be in agreement with the absolute way they're doing it. That's a little different. Um, but we need to be careful that we don't get swayed um, by, by people who are sort of drawing us into um, teachings or practices that don't line up with the Bible. We need to be very careful with that because some of it sounds really good. Remember, you know, just, just a little twist is what can get you in tr trouble. So you need to be careful of that little twist that it's not what's going on. Uh, so then he, he goes on in verses 4 through 6 and um, he, he wants people to know, you know, basically that Jesus is coming back and when he does come back, he's going to be making everything right, and he's going to be settling accounts, and uh, he's absolutely made an, a way for everyone to be reconciled to God, and that, that's his heart, and I believe that fully. But if people choose to ignore the way that's made for them, uh, there's, a, there's a time of judgment and accounting that's coming. And, um, you, you know, Peter's making that point. And uh, it's a significant point, one we need to be aware of. And so, uh, it, you know, he's saying... you people that are doing that aren't going to get away with it forever, certainly not. And we need to be aware that it's happening in and around us. Um, verses 7 through 9, we also need to know this, that um, he, it's a reminder, Peter makes a reminder, that once you've come into the kingdom, once you've accepted Jesus, uh, you know, in, into your life, you've, you've believed in your hearts and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're in the kingdom, um, we need to know that we can trust God in all situations, that he can absolutely take care of us, uh, that he will empower us by his spirit, spirit to lead us into the life he's called us to. And so he's more than able um, to, to do all those things so we can trust in him that he can and will deliver us in all situations. A couple of verses that I, I thought um, that would be helpful. First one is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God's faithful. He will always provide a way out when things are happening. So um, we just are, always need to be looking for the way that he provides out. I told you sometimes in the midst of that, and that's talking about when you're being tempted. Um, you know, my, you remember my, my temptation prayer? Help! Some of you got this. You're so good. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, that's my big temptation prayer. You're feeling tempted. That's your prayer. Stick with it. Help! Help! It's a really powerful prayer. And it, it, I know it sounds funny, but it's a, one of the best prayers you, you can pray. Very effective. It'll get you turned around, focused on Jesus. That's where your help comes from. And so that's why, it's, it's, that's why you need to remember it. Help! It's a good one. And then 2 Corinthians 10. 3 through 6. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We, and strongholds are, he's going to define it. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So um, we, we have to know if things are happening that, that aren't good, that God's with us, He's for us, He'll make a way out, and He's given us the power to, to break and fight against anything that tries to set itself up against the knowledge of God. So we have that going for us. In verses 10 through 14 of 2 Peter 2, um, we need to be aware of this, and and because uh, he starts talking about these these false teachers would just start sort of um, slandering celestial beings, including the enemy himself, and that's not good practice. Um, and and what we need to remember, um, so we have a very real enemy. We talk about that, and um, I, I say this to you all the time. He he kind of prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not the roaring lion. That's Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Jesus. He's like a roaring lion because he was, he was virtually stripped of his power at the cross. However, he's still an, uh, a worthy adversary of the church and of us because he, um, he uses very well what he's been left with, which are tricks and deceptions and lies. And he's, he's a master of tricks and deceptions and lies. He's a master of lies. He's the father of lies. He's very, very good at it. And so you can never just sort of take it lightly that, um, that he's out there. Yes, he's been dealt with at the cross. And yes, his days are numbered. However, while he still has the ability that he has, he needs to be, um, we need to never take that process lightly. Um, and, and he uses all sorts of deceptions. One of his favorite deceptions is trying to make people think he doesn't exist. How's that for twisted? But he's good at that. Because if you don't think he exists, then you're well, yeah. And it's very real. Don't give him more credit than he's due, but, but don't, don't take him lightly. That's, that's how that works, I believe. So if we're aware that he's, you know, he still wants to trip us up. And uh, he, remember his stated, his stated purpose. Jesus told us what he was here for, the enemy. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do to us. But Jesus wants us to have full and abundant life. But that's the battle. And then uh, in verses 15 through 18, it talks about Balaam. Balaam, um, if you haven't read the story for a while, you should go back and read it. Numbers 24, 25. Um, there's a king. Uh, the king's name is um, Balak or Balak. And uh, um, the army of Israel is coming against them. And uh, Balak wants them to be cursed. And so he goes to Balaam and says, I'm going to pay you a bunch of money. I want you to come up and curse the Israelites. Balaam says, you know, I can only do what sort of... And he's not a good guy. At this point in time, he's kind of listening to God. And he, he hears from God, but he's, he's certainly not a good guy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but he decides for whatever reason that he's not going to curse Israel at this point in time in that story in Numbers. And remember, that's when the donkey speaks to him and because he's, he's trying to get the donkey to go. And the donkey says, don't go that way. And, and there's all these things going on. So you remember the story. Uh, but what we find out about Balaam um, later on when we read in Numbers, if you look at Numbers 31, 16, uh, and, uh, 31, 16 um, he doesn't at that time curse Israel, but later on he does um, sort of get involved in a plan to... Uh, stop. Now my... my eh, sorry. I hit the wrong button and my keyboard came up and I lost my notes. And then I couldn't make it go away, but I fixed it. So, um, 
at some point, he comes up with a plan to deceive the people of Israel for his own gain. And uh, that's in Numbers 31, 16. And it's talking about a whole group of Israelites who started to follow um, Baal, um, the, the false god of Baal, because of the advice they listened to from Balaam, who started having them uh, intermarry with the, um, the people of the area who worshiped Baal. And all of a sudden, they were dragged into this false, false worship. And it, it didn't end well for those that were involved in that. But it, it says this, that they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So Balaam used religion um, for personal advancement uh, in, in, in uh, ungodly ways. And that's something that God doesn't take lightly. And, and the reason that Peter includes that story here is that's what the false teachers were doing. They were, they were trying to use um, their false teaching for personal advancement, and God doesn't look well or favorably on that. And then in verses 19 through 22, Peter talks about freedom. The freedom we have in Christ isn't freedom to go and do whatever we want to do based on our own selfish desires. The freedom that we have in Christ now is that we can choose... Um, how we're going to serve. And we're no longer in bondage. We're no longer in slavery to sin. We can choose not to go that route um, once we're in Christ. And so what Jesus frees us to do really is to serve him, but it's in the serving him that we experience real, full, and abundant life. And so that's how all that ties together. And that's the, the sort of the, the basics of Second Peter uh, chapter 2. And uh, that's where I'm going to call it quits for today. If you're watching on the video or by television, thank you. We appreciate you doing that. Know how valuable your time is. We'd love to have you come and visit sometime here at the vineyard. Go to our website at keysvineyard.com if you need any information or if you need prayer. We'll see you soon.